This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast with Cordell Schreiber, session number four. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell here, and welcome to episode four of the Build Wealth Canada podcast. And in this episode, what we're going to do is really give you a comprehensive guide on all the different costs that you could incur when you're purchasing a home, as well as all the costs that you will have after you purchase a home. And really, this is something that's pretty key because some of these expenses are in the thousands of dollars. And so if you don't really have that financial cushion and if you're caught off guard by too many of these different expenses, whether it's the ongoing expenses once you've bought the home or the initial expenses, you could find yourself to be in in pretty rough shape and basically not have enough money to pay for them. And so usually what happens in that case is you'll be inclined to say, okay, well, I guess I'll have to use my credit card for this expense or basically go into debt uh, to pay a certain expense. And then this is something that you definitely want to avoid at all costs. I mean, you're already going into debt by purchasing a house because you're likely going to have a mortgage. And so you really don't want to have additional debt on top of that, especially at a much higher interest rate, like for example, if you're using credit card debt. So that's something that's pretty key. Now, what's really interesting too is that you're in an interesting position when you go to purchase a home because on the one end, you do want to put as much money towards the house as possible. You have that sort of incentive to put in as much money towards the house just because the more you put down, the lower your interest payments are going to be. And this makes complete sense, right? I mean, if you're taking a loan that's not very large because you don't need it, then you're obviously going to pay a lot less interest. Now, on the other hand, you definitely want to make sure that you actually have enough of a financial cushion. If, for example, something requires a repair very urgently shortly after you move into the house, or let's say you move into this house, everything's going great, and then let's say you or your significant other loses their job, and now all of a sudden your income is going to be cut pretty significantly. So really the key is to find that balance where you are putting in as much as you can towards the house to minimize your interest payments, but at the same time, you don't want to go overboard to the point where you're just really walking a very, very thin line, and if anything unexpected happens, any sort of unexpected expenses, that's going to put you in a very, very large financial strain. So you definitely want to have that cushion. Now, once you've actually purchased the house, you also want to know what are these ongoing expenses going to be to basically keep the house. And this is obviously really important because the kind of worst thing that you want to you don't want to get into is that you purchase this house, everything seems okay, and then at the end of the month, after paying for all the expenses, after paying the mortgage, after paying the property tax, after paying for some maintenance on the property, you find that you actually don't really have any money left over at the end of the month. And so if you don't have money left over, over at the end of the month, well, well, now you can't pay down your mortgage quicker, right? Because you're spending all your money on your mortgage, so you can't really accelerate your payments that way. You can't really invest because, once again, you don't have money to invest. And you may not be able to afford certain things as well, like a vacation, or maybe you're planning to get married in the near future, or maybe you know that you'll have to purchase a new car soon. You know, So if, you, so if you're basically spending 
a majority of your take-home pay just to be able to keep the house, it's gonna, it can really be, I would even say, a catastrophic thing for you because you can't, you can get to the point where you can't really live your life or you can't live your life without going into debt just because you're spending so much money on the house. So really, these are these are really key things. And like I mentioned in the previous podcast, when you are getting into the whole house buying thing. It's it's a lot of money, right? You're dealing with hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so this isn't something that you just want to take lightly. You want to make sure that you dot your I's and cross your T's and that everything is well managed and that you anticipate to the best of your ability all the different costs that could come up. And at the same time, realizing that you aren't going to be able to predict everything. You, you can't predict when your furnace is going to break and you need to go and you're going to need to replace it. You can't predict exactly when your roof is going to start leaking or when it's going to need replacement. You know, you get you have estimates, you build in cushions, you build in backup plans, you build up the savings and emergency fund. You know, you build up all these things so that you don't get put into this really bad financial shape. And it's important to note too that when you are in this position, it's not something that's very easy to undo. So it's not like you buy a new couch and then you realize, oh, I spent too much on this couch. I really shouldn't have done that. And you go and you return the couch and it's, it's an inconvenience. But at the same time, it's completely reversible for the most part. With a house, a house isn't very liquid, right? And by that, I mean, it's not something that you can just get rid of very easily. So if you get into this financial bind, for example, you buy a house that is too expensive and the ongoing costs of having this house are too much and you realize six months down the road that you don't have enough money to invest, to pay down the mortgage quicker, to basically have a life, then, okay, you can decide to sell the house. But this isn't something that you can just... You know, it's not like selling a stock, right? Where you just go on the website and you sell it. And you know, it's something that you can be done within a few minutes. Maybe it's the middle of winter and there aren't really any buyers for that kind of property in that particular area. Maybe you can't find an alternate place that you want to live in and so you have to stay in that house. Maybe you try selling it, but no one is willing to pay the price that you paid for it. So you see, it's not really something that you can just reverse very easily. You can reverse it, but generally it is going to cost you a fair bit of money. And if you listen to the previous podcast where I talked about the advantages versus disadvantages of buying or renting a home, then you know that there are quite a few things that you do need to consider before purchasing a house just because there are a lot of extra expenses that come along with purchasing a house that you are going to have to incur if you make that wrong decision and you do have to move sooner than you should. All right, so what I want to do is actually tell you a story about my own personal example and something that we actually went through. And I think it really illustrates quite well the importance of planning and having these cushions in place and really knowing what your potential costs might be so that you can plan for them and that you aren't in a financially stressful situation. So when we basically moved to our most recent house, what we actually learned was that the electrical in it was actually not very good. In fact, it was somewhat catastrophic. It was actually a very big fire hazard. So if we didn't do anything, we were actually told by a few professionals that there's a risk that a fire could actually start within the house from the electrical, from within the walls. So basically our our house could catch on fire uh, from within the walls, uh, from the electrical wires. That's kind of a big deal. So how do we know this? Well, first of all, we did have a home inspector give the property a very thorough inspection before we purchased 
the home. And so we knew about this particular problem. We knew that this is something that when we're negotiating to purchase the house, this is something that we'll either have to negotiate that the sellers are going to have to take care of or that we're going to have to take care of. And we make sure that the price that we pay for the house, it takes into account the fact that we are going to have to undergo these electrical repairs once we take possession of the house. Now, in our case, when the negotiations were all said and done, the basically the conclusion was that we would take care of it on our end. And so before purchasing the house, before agreeing to anything, we knew that we had to put money on the side for that particular expense. Now, that actually isn't the end of the story. What happened after that is that shortly after we moved into the house, we the furnace on our rental property broke. So we, we the house we moved into was our primary residence and we had the rental property at the exact same time. And so the furnace on that rental property broke. And this was the middle of winter and we needed to get fixed ASAP. The property is being rented by a family with children. Obviously, you want them to have heating in the middle of winter. And so this is something that I had to get fixed right away. Now, fortunately, because we had an emergency fund for such unexpected surprises, we were able to cover that electrical expense for the house we just moved into, plus the expense of fixing the furnace, which was actually a pretty costly expense. We were able to fix both of those and doing so without getting into any sort of debt, without using any sort of debt, and without us saying, okay, well, let's hold off on these critical electrical repairs in our primary house because we have to fix the furnace first for the tenants. No, we were able to do both because we planned for it and because we had that cushion set aside. Now, I realize in your case, you may not have a rental that you have to worry about, but for example, let's say you moved into this house and you have these electrical repairs. Well, what's the stop from your furnace breaking down in the house you just moved in? There's no way to know 100% that for sure your furnace will be good for an extra 10 years and you don't have to worry about it. There's always something that could go wrong. And so this is the thing, right? As we knew about the electrical expense, we didn't know about the furnace because you never really know 100% when it's going to break. And so you do need to have that cushion set aside. You do need to realize that these expenses are going to come up uh, so that you can pay for them. So really the lesson here is that as tempting as it might be to raid your emergency fund and, and, and use all the money you have saved up towards purchasing a house, but believe me, it's tempting because no one really likes paying more interest than they should. But that emergency fund that you have, that, that cushion that you have for such repairs, it's there for a reason. And as an aside, what, what I actually like to do, is, and this is really something that I've learned by studying a lot of different real estate investors, basically professional real estate investors, and learning how they crunch their numbers and, and what sort of cushions do they build into uh, when they're doing their analysis, when they're with their spreadsheet and, and seeing whether they should purchase you know, like a multifamily, a multi-unit building. Well, what they do is they'll actually use a 20% buffer. That's something that's common amongst a lot of different investors. So you basically take, okay, well, I think you know, these electrical repairs are going to cost X number of dollars. Well, let's mark that up by 20%. Let's let's assume that when I asked the home inspector how much this would cost roughly, let's say he was off by 20%. And so let's use that higher amount just to be on the safe side. And when you do that, it, it just, it makes, well, first of all, it relieves a lot of stress, but at the same time, it it prevents you from getting into those panic modes where, oh, wow, the expenses ended up being quite a bit more. We don't have the money and, and you're sort of living now on a shoestring budget. The other thing really worth mentioning too is that there's really no guarantee that your home inspector will catch every possible problem with the house that you are buying. In fact, what they'll probably do is they'll actually make you sign a waiver saying that you understand this, that yes, they are going to do their best 
to try to find anything wrong with the house, but there is no guarantee after they're done with it that they spotted everything and that you know you're able to now predict any sort of expense that you're going to have in the future. All right, so this is once again another reason why you have to assume the worst. You, you, you plan for the worst. You hope that you, you do your best choosing the right home inspector, but you assume that they miss something and you make sure that you have a cushion set aside in case they did miss something and something needs replacing right away. For example, in our case, I like to always have several thousand dollars just kind of on the side, just in case something like that happens. And this several thousand dollars is just in addition to what we have as a regular emergency fund. So it's just an amount that we have set aside that, let's say, I don't know, the air conditioner breaks or the furnace needs repairing, that we are able to cover such costs. All right, so without warning, let's now dive a little bit deeper into the expenses that you should be ready for if you are purchasing a house. And now, what we'll do as well is we will split these up into two different components uh, because there's, of course, the expenses that you incur when you purchase a house and then there's the expenses that you have once you actually have the house and basically to keep the house. So, for example, the mortgage itself, the property tax, the repairs, etc. All right, so let's let's start with these actual closing costs. In other words, the costs that you would incur just to purchase the home. So to start, the CMHC, the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation, they basically estimate that it's going to take you about 1.5 to 4% of your purchase price. That that's basically what your closing costs will be. So 1.5 to 4% of whatever you're buying the house for. All right, so let's dive into that number a little bit deeper just so that we can get a more precise calculation as to how much it is actually going to cost us to purchase a home. All right, so the first category I wanted to cover is repairs. And now traditionally, repairs aren't really grouped together with the closing costs. But when I'm talking about these specific repairs, I'm referring to, I would say, the urgent repairs. And so these are repairs that as soon as you move into the house, you want to make sure that you have covered. Like in the story that I gave you before, with the electrical being in a pretty bad shape to the point where it can burn the house down, that the repairs for that is something that I want to factor in and have as part of my closing costs. I want to make sure I have that money ready to go the moment I move into the house just so that next the next day I can get an electrician in there or even that same day and just get that fixed as soon as possible. All right, so when you are going through the house and you're looking it through with your agent, there are certain things you want to look for and ask just so that you get a very good understanding of the cost that you're going to have to incur shortly after taking possession of the house. So for example, one of them is the roof. How old is the actual roof? Now typically, a roof can last about 25 years. That I would say is the lifespan, sort of the average lifespan of a roof. Now obviously there's these ridiculously expensive roofs that are guaranteed for a lifetime or, or whatever the case may be. You know, I'm just talking about the average, right? So 25 years. So if the house has never had its roof replaced and the house is 25 years old, well, that's something that now you should make sure that you factor in, make sure that you actually have money set aside for roof shortly after taking possession of the house because you don't know. I mean, the day that you move into the house, the roof might start leaking or maybe you want to replace it right now before the roof starts leaking so that it doesn't drip down and start you know, damaging basically the inside of your house, right? So this is something that... Uh, 
uh, you definitely want to ask and factor it. Another thing you want to look at is the furnace. Now, typically a furnace on average will last between 20 and 25 years. So once again, if you're moving into this house, the house is, let's say, 25 years old, it still has its original furnace. I mean, that should be a flag for you. That should say, okay, well, you know, I should definitely budget for a new furnace or, or you know, some very significant furnace repairs uh, about the time that I move in to the house. Another good question is, does the house have an air conditioner? Do you need an air conditioner? Are you reliant on one? Uh, for example, I know my wife and I, we we need an air conditioner. We, we just we just do. It's it's not even a, a, a question. It's just we, we can't function properly if it's just too hot in the house. And so for us, you know, if you're like us in that case and you do need an air conditioner, well, definitely ask that, you know, does the house have one? If it doesn't, well, you're going to have to put several thousand dollars aside so that you can purchase an air conditioner. All right. Also, how old is the house is something else you want to know because the plumbing and the electrical, of course, will be older as well if the house is older. And that's something that may need to be repaired. Now, this is something that when you are getting your home inspected, that the home inspector will be able to warn you about. They'll be able to tell you if maybe the plumbing or electrical isn't up to code, if there are certain serious dangers with the plumbing or electrical, like in our case, as, as it was with the electrical and the home inspector, if you pick a good one, should be able to tell you the approximate cost of what it would uh, cost you to basically fix those things. And that's something, that number is what you can bring to the negotiations when you are purchasing the house. And that might allow you to basically get a better price for the house because you can go to the seller and say, look, you know, I like your house. I realize that there are these significant repairs that need to be done with the electrical, with the plumbing. Here's how much it's going to cost. You know, I'd like to lower your the price of the house by this amount to cover these expenses. See, so that's something that you can go and you can bring into negotiations to lower the price. Okay. Another thing you want to look out for is foundation issues. So for example, are there any horizontal cracks? Now, a house will houses will often have a small vertical cracks cracks in their foundation. So if you go to the basement, you'll, you'll, you'll generally you'll see certain cracks. But if you see any that are um, that are horizontal, those can be a problem. Also, if you see any cracks, vertical or horizontal, if they are more than a pencil width, right, the width of a pencil, if they're more than that, that can be a sign of uh, some serious foundation problems. Okay, so that's once again something that you want to consider and realize that okay, this this may really increase my closing costs, and, and is this something that I want to mess around with even? Okay. Another one you want to look at is water heater. Okay. Now a lot of houses they will have the water heater. The water heater is a rental. Okay. And so what you do want to know in that case is you you want to ask the seller. Okay. Well, what are you actually paying monthly for this water heater rental? Right. So in our one house it's ten dollars. In another one that we have it's something like thirty dollars. So you you do want to make sure you have this because this is an ongoing expense. Now if the water heater is not a rental, well then you do also want to know how old is the water heater so that once again you can anticipate for when you will have to have it replaced. And now something like a water heater can last between 12 and 15 years. So just once again take that into account. Okay, another thing you want to really consider is the appliances. Now, when you purchase a home, sometimes you well, basically you can negotiate for the appliance the appliances to be included with the purchase of your home. And then really this is something that I usually recommend that you do just because, well, there's the price of the appliances you'll have to pay afterwards, but if you have to go and buy new appliances uh, or even used appliances, but also think of the pain that it is to bring appliances into the home, okay? Uh, you might have to pay for a delivery truck to deliver them, or even if you bring it yourself, now you've got to 
drag this, let's say, this gigantic fridge or have space someone to put this gigantic fridge into your house, right? I mean, it's it's a lot of work. It's a pain. It costs money. Generally, I would say, you know, it's it's you do want to negotiate to have the appliances included with the house, okay? But if if you don't, or maybe they'll say, well, you know, you can keep the fridge and the stove, but we, we need to take the washer and dryer, and there's no, they're, you know, they're, they're not okay leaving those behind, right? Well, once again, you need to wash your clothes, and so shortly after moving in, you're going to have to purchase, let's say, a washer and dryer, right? And so you do want to make sure you have that money set aside ready to go before you go purchasing a house, so that you're not using your credit card to purchase a washer and dryer and then paying a ridiculous amount of interest on it. Okay, so that's once again something that you really want to consider. Uh, you also want to look at whether the floors are sloped or not. Okay, that's obviously not a normal thing, right? You're when you're in a room, the floor should be level, right? If you put a ball on it, like a marble or tennis ball or something, it, it shouldn't roll, right? It should be nice and flat, right? So, well, once again, this is something that is a flag, and that's something that the home inspector should be able to give you some advice on uh, if there is any sort of serious issues that uh, are causing that floor to be sloped and if so well how much will those cost to repair and can the sellers lower the price because of the repairs you'll have to incur you know basically you know this is something you definitely want to know all right, and in general, you just you do want to know how old the house is, okay? And basically, different houses built during different decades tend to have different sort of characteristics. Some decades have have a reputation of being decades where the houses are very very well built, and so you don't have to worry about certain things. Others have a reputation of of being uh, where houses aren't really so well built. Uh, basically, what you want to do is, I mean, when you are shopping for a house, you do want to make sure that you do have an agent that actually knows a bit about this stuff. Now you. You will have a home inspector, of course, review your property as well to take a look at this. But you know, you do want an agent that knows a bit about this, just so that before you place an offer, they can already advise you accordingly, right? You don't want to put in an offer and use an agent that doesn't know any of the stuff, and then you go and you pay a home inspector five hundred dollars. They find out all these different things, and now there's no way you want to buy the house. Well, hopefully, some of those things the agent would have been able to detect beforehand. Like for example, let's say there's some huge foundation issues. Well, hopefully the agent is knowledgeable enough that they would be able to see, okay, look, you've got these, you know, <laughs> this giant crack in your, this giant horizontal crack in your foundation. This is an issue, uh, you know, consider this before you put in an offer. So this is something that, you know, they should warn you about even before you go out and spend $500 on a home inspector. Okay. So, you know, just something to keep in mind. And the last thing I want to mention too, is you do want to factor in the cost of changing locks. This isn't a huge uh, expense by any means you can do it yourself I'm not a particularly a handy guy and I've always done it myself it's, it's not really difficult uh, but of course you know you do want to factor that in and I guess it's more something that it's maybe it's easier to forget so have that on your checklist as well that if you do move into a house make sure you remember to change the locks as well because you don't know if the previous owners gave their keys to someone else maybe some sketchy characters and last thing you want is someone breaking into your house uh, very easily because they have a key for it all right, so that's a bit of a, a bit of an aside, but you know what? Maybe I should back up just uh, just a little bit because if you haven't purchased the house before, maybe you're not uh, you just, you don't know the actual sort of workflow, the the, the process, right? So, uh, but generally, what happens is, let's say you go and you find a house that you really 
really like and you want to put in an offer on it, right? So that's something that you would do together with your agent, right? So you start negotiating these different things. And this is why it's good to have an agent that knows some of the different things I mentioned before, like uh, knows to look for the roof, knows to look for the plumbing and the furnace and all these other things, right? That they can, they can advise you on these different things and things to be careful of uh, with that house based on that age, all right? So let's say, you know, the agent talks to you about it, you look at all the different factors and you say, okay, let's negotiate on the price. The sellers agree to, to the price that you're offering them, everything is good. Well, the next step now is that you will now have a home inspector go into the house to look at all these different things in more detail, all right? And then the home inspector, you can expect to pay somewhere around $500 for a decent home inspector, maybe a little bit more you know, depending on who you get and where you're located, etc. All right, so now the inspector, when they've inspected the property, and you should always be with them when they're inspecting it, just so you can learn and they can explain the different things you should be concerned about. And they explain to you the different costs. You should always ask them, what, what is this going to cost to fix this, this issue that you found with the house? Always, always do that. But when they're done, basically, they're gonna you're gonna know very well the different things that the different expenses that you're going to have to incur. Now, at that point, you know you, you've already hired the home inspector, so you're already out you know, over five hundred dollars. And now you can go back to the sellers of the house and say, okay, yeah, everything is fine. Go ahead, uh, you know, I'm buying the house, right? That's one option. Or the other option is you say, okay, look, when I give you my initial offer, I didn't know that the house had this issue that the home inspector pointed out. And so this is going to cost approximately this much to fix. I would like to lower my offer by this particular amount, right? So that's some, so once again, you're basically opening up the, the negotiations again with the home seller. And now things can really go either way. The seller could say, no, the house that we agreed to is already way, you know, you're already getting a really, really good deal. You should cover these expenses yourselves. There's no way that we're going to lower the price on the house because of these issues that you found with it. They, they may say something like that. And in fact, that was the case when we bought our most recent house because we were already getting, we were already getting a very good price on the house. And so the seller said, look, if, if you don't you know, like it, then, then basically too bad then fine, then, then don't buy the house. But we're not going to lower our price anymore because you've already lowered it significantly. And so if you want to buy the house, fine, buy it for the price we agreed upon, but you have to take care of any extra expenses yourself, okay? So that could be the case, right? Now, in... in one of the other houses I bought in the past, it was very, it was different, right? So I was selling the house and then the person that wanted to purchase it said, okay, well, I want you to fix this particular issue. And basically at this time, you know, we really wanted to sell the house and, and it's not something that we wanted to basically put up a big fuss over because we were already getting a pretty, we were getting a good price for the house. She was willing to pay us uh, a, a good price for the house. And so I wasn't, you know, feeling like, oh, we, we already gave her such a great deal. Uh, I can't, you know, I, I, there's no way I'll lower the price anymore. And so in that particular case, I said, okay, fine, we'll, we'll incur, we'll fix this thing that you want, that you want fixed and we'll cover the cost of that. And then we can go ahead with the purchase. So, it, you know, it can really go either way. It's really, you know, it really depends on the situation. All right, so hopefully that helped you, especially if you're brand new to the process and you're not really sure exactly how it works. It is something to be aware of that there really are two negotiating phases. There's the initial phase with the the initial phase before the offer gets accepted, and then after the offer is accepted, you have the home inspection, and then basically the negotiations reopen up again. All right, so the next thing you want to consider is the more non-urgent repairs that you're going to want to do once you move into the house. And in this case, 
you really want to be realistic because it's easy to sort of blow those off to the side. But for example, once you move into the house, maybe there's a room that's just painted a really ugly color and you want to paint this room as soon as you move into the house, right? So in that case, well, okay, well, what is it going to cost to, to paint that room or, or to paint portions of the house, okay? What if you're moving into a bigger house than you have before and now you've got these extra rooms? Well, you're probably going to want to furnish those rooms, right? And that obviously costs money. So you know, are you willing to wait before those rooms get furnished, before you have enough money saved up, you know, if, if you're not, well, then you really should have that money ready to go on the side before purchasing the house so that as soon as you move into the house, you can go furniture shopping and buy that new furniture, right? Because the last thing you want to do is you move into the house and then you realize, oh, wow, these, um, these curtains don't match. We need to get new curtains and we need to get this new furniture for this new room that we have now. And now you're using your credit card to buy all these things and going into massive debt furnishing your house, okay? So this is really what we're trying to avoid here. Okay. I already mentioned the appliances that if the owners took theirs that you do want to make sure you have you have been budgeting for that. If you have a house, you may have a lawn now too. So you may actually have to go out and buy a lawnmower, right? Another another thing to actually consider. If you bought a house with a pool, well, now you need chemicals for the pool. Plus, maybe they didn't leave behind all their equipment. Maybe you have to buy some additional uh, pool cleaning and pool maintenance equipment now as well. So once again, this is something that you would have to budget for as well. If you're moving from an apartment, well, you may have to... Uh, purchase garbage bins now. You may have to purchase a snow shovel, right? You may have to purchase a light bulbs even, right? Because maybe the landlord used to always cover that and they would change the light bulbs for you. All right, so things like furniture, different upgrades you want to the house, new decorations you want to add to the house. Uh, maybe you want a garage door opener for the house. I already mentioned the air conditioning. So these are things that maybe aren't you know, sort of critical, critical repairs. Like, you know, the, the, the house isn't going to burn down if you can't afford a snow shovel right now, or if you can't afford garbage bins, right? But, you know, at the same time, you do want to consider these things, right? You do want a few thousand bucks set aside for these certain things. And once again, I don't think these are usually classified in a traditional sense as closing costs per se, but I mean, this is something that I mean, if it's something that you're going to be purchasing shortly after moving to a house, you know, I would like to group that into the closing costs category and make sure you have enough money set aside for all those things. All right, so let's keep moving along here. Moving costs is, of course, another thing that you have to consider. And now you might say to yourself, well, I don't want to pay other people to move my things. I can do it myself, no problem. And that's fine. And I mean, that's something that I've always done. Or you get friends to help you, right? That's something that you can do. But there's still a cost associated with that. There's still the truck that you have to rent to actually move all your things. When you have friends coming over, well, you should probably get them a pizza or something, right? Give them some sort of food or some beer, just, you know, at least to thank them for what they're doing, right? So, you know, moving costs, even if you are doing it yourself, chances are you don't have a giant rental truck that you can use for free. So you do have to rent that. And there is the cost of, you know, if you're not paying for movers directly, you're sort of indirectly paying for, uh, for movers by giving them food, giving them beer, you know, whatever the case may be, Okay. The next expense you want to look into is the home inspection. Now, I've already mentioned this uh, earlier in the podcast. So in our case, it was somewhere around the $500 mark whenever we did our home inspections. And of course, depending on your area and, and all that, uh, you know, it can be more or, or less. But, you know, that's sort of the general price point uh, that we actually incurred. And now when it comes to the home inspection, you definitely don't want to just 
you know, find the first home inspector that comes up when you do a Google search or whatever and, and just go ahead with them. Uh, you definitely want to research to make sure that you do have a very reputable home inspector. And in fact, one really good tip that I can give you is basically to use the home inspectors or the home inspector that real estate professional real estate investors use okay so if someone's a professional real estate investor so these are people that let's say are buying you know student housing they have student houses available by the university that they buy and that they manage they um you know, they may have a, a multi-unit build, uh, you know, larger buildings, and they keep investing basically in property. So they have a, you know, they've been doing this for a while. They know of all the costs. They they want to make sure before they invest, before they put all this money into a property, that they get a really good home inspection. And so these people that basically do this for a living, I'm very confident that they have a good home inspector that they use to inspect their properties before they sink hundreds, potentially millions of dollars into a property, okay? And so that's who I, who I recommend uh, you use is, uh, and this is basically sort of the, the course of action that, that I took as well, is basically went on the different forums uh, on real estate investing and, and found out on these forums, asked around basically saying, well, who's a good home inspector in this particular area? And I was able to find several good home inspectors that are professional real estate investors recommended. And those are the people that are basically all as my first choice. And now why would you want to sort of go through all this trouble? Well, the home inspector, I mean, this is a huge deal, right? You, you want to make sure that you maximize your chances of finding every possible thing that's wrong with the property. There's never a guarantee, but this is one area where you really don't want to cut corners. In fact, I remember the one uh, home inspector that I found, he was actually often not recommended by real estate agents. And the reason for this was because he was so thorough, he was so basically good at his job that he would tell the the potential buyers of a house all the things that are wrong with the house. It's such detail that, that basically he would know just about everything that real estate agents don't didn't like him because sometimes the person that wants to buy the house will say, well, wow, I didn't know this house had all these issues. I don't want to buy the house anymore. And of course, real estate agents don't like that because they just, this home inspector basically just broke the deal off, right? So that's, I mean, that's that's an actual true story. And this is the kind of reputation that some home inspectors have, right? Whereas other home inspectors are known as being very lax and very sort of laid back about this kind of stuff that they'll just, you know, they'll just say, oh, don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. And then, you know, you buy this house and then you realize you've got these big repairs on your hands that you didn't know about. So, you know, if, when I'm buying a house myself, I want to make sure that I am using a home inspector that basically, uh, you know, real estate agents might not necessarily uh, like, all right? So I'm, I want someone that real estate investors are using, someone that's really knowledgeable, very critical. I want to know every little thing that's wrong with this house, okay? So that's, that's a piece of, that's basically something that I've done myself and something that I recommend you do as well. All right. Now, a next common thing that you will see if, if you do some research on house closing costs is you'll see an appraisal fee that sometimes you have to pay, that you may have to pay an appraisal fee on the house, and this is something that the bank requires before they give you the mortgage. So, this I actually <laughs> wouldn't worry about, uh, and the reason for that is well, I've never had to pay an appraisal fee. And if the bank wants your business badly enough, they will be they will basically take care of this for themselves. Okay. So if some if you go talk to you know the first bank you see and they're talking about some appraisal fee and they may even have things like, oh well, there's a mortgage fee you have to pay, some application fee or something. 
okay, the, the mortgage industry is really, really competitive, okay? Very competitive. And these guys, they want your business, okay? They really, really do. So if someone is throwing out all these little fees to try to get every little thing from you, every little dollar from you, there are other providers that will not... That, that will that want your business bad to the point where they are okay covering these fees, okay? So, I mean, in, in my experience, I, I've never even had a bank say, hey, you're gonna have to pay the, this appraisal fee if you want a mortgage with us, okay? Now, mind you, when I go and I approach the banks or I approach, I go talk to a mortgage, uh, a mortgage advisor, uh, I will already have done my research beforehand, right? So I will go and I know what the rates are in the market. I know what the terms are for the different mortgages. And so when you know what it is, they're a lot less, they, right away they they can tell pretty quickly how knowledgeable you are or whether you're just a person that just decided I want a house and I'm going to go to my bank and I'm going to get it through my bank without doing any sort of research, you know, because I trust my bank, all right? They, uh, you know, so a person like that, the banks can tell if you're that kind of person, right? And they can tell if you're a person that's actually done their research. So me personally, I've never had anyone try to push an appraisal fee on me because they know I'm not going to fall for it because I know already what's in the marketplace and what other banks are offering and that they just their offer just wouldn't be competitive if they're throwing in fees like an appraisal fee for example okay so that's something that definitely basically don't get they'll get suckered in into paying this now another thing that you might see if you do some research on this that you may have to pay is a survey fee and once again myself I have never had to pay a survey fee and I've never had anyone try to force me to pay a survey fee whenever I bought a house. And basically what a survey fee is, is it, well, it tells you a bunch of things, but basically it tells you exactly how much of the property you own, if there are any sort of restrictions or limitations on the property. Now, when you are when you are purchasing a property, when you're talking to your lawyer, you will t- generally take out title insurance, okay? And title insurance basically covers you as far as survey-related issues go. Now, I have heard some stories of people from uh, that, that are buying a place in, in a more rural area where they do want to have a survey done on their property because they, they're buying a very large part of land. It's not like a cookie-cutter subdivision type of thing. It's, it's kind of in a rural area, and you want to know exactly where your plot of land starts, where your plot of land ends, and if anybody has any sort of rights to your property and things like that. Okay, so if I was buying some rural area, you know, out in the country somewhere, uh, th- then then yeah, I, I would probably talk to my lawyer and I, and I would want to see if maybe a survey is something that I would want to do just to avoid any complications down the road, even though the title insurance covers it because maybe I don't want to go go through that whole process. Okay, so, so that's kind of something that you should probably ask your lawyer about if you are purchasing a house sort of in that rural area. Now, whenever I bought a house, it was always in one of those, you know, sort of typical mid-sized city subdivisions, right, where you've got the cookie cutter houses, you know, the, the plots of, you can you can pretty much tell where the property starts, where it ends. It, it's not something that is very uh, mysterious or hard to determine or anything like that. So, you know, if you're sort of the typical home buyer where you're buying your house in sort of a typical residential subdivision type thing, then you probably, well, me personally, I just, I would not go out and get a survey and that would not, uh, and the bank basically would not force me to pay for a survey for the, for them to do one either. Okay, once again, if you're not sure about this, if, if you're kind of uneasy, then, then, you know, fine, talk to your lawyer. But I know when I did it myself, they basically said, look, you, you know, you don't have to worry about the survey because we are going to take title insurance and the title insurance is going to take care of that. And, and basically, I, you know, I took their word for it and I trusted them and, and I've never had any sort of issues with that. 
All right, another expense that you do want to be ready for, and, and this isn't a huge one, but it's just something to keep in mind, is basically service charges. And so these are things like putting the utilities in your name, for example. So when you go talk to your uh, your hydro company and you say, okay, I just bought this house, uh, you know, I want to get everything set up, generally they'll charge you some sort of registration fee. Uh, you know, it could be like $70 or something like that. It's, it's not a huge gigantic amount but it's just something to consider and if you are worried about these sort of smaller costs as well well you can definitely call your utility company ask them how much something like that would cost right so generally what like in our case for example here we live in kitchener so who i would want to call is basically the hydro company ask them how much that costs and i would want to call the city because they're the ones that process the basically the water and the and the uh, the gas lines right so i would want to know okay to set up an account with the city what it's going to cost and to set up an account with the electrical company how much is that going to cost so those are costs you can get fa fairly easily you know this isn't one of those things that's thousands of dollars you know they the, it, each one should be well under a hundred dollars for sure they may also uh, if you're very new and they don't have any sort of history of your account, they may ask you for a deposit as well. So, I mean, this is some, and that can be in a, a couple hundred dollars as well. So just, this is something that if you are concerned about that, you're not going to have a few hundred dollars laying around to pay for these things, that then for sure you may want to call them and get some actual exact numbers. And of course, you know, these can vary depending on what city you're in, uh, you know, so I can't just give you sort of a rule that it's always going to cost you $50, right? So you do want to give them a call. But once again, these are registration fees, right? We're not talking about thousands of dollars fees or anything like that. All right, the next significant fee that you do want to prepare for is the legal fees. Now, I did a bit of research around this to see what others are paying, and it seems like generally people expect to pay between $1,500 and $2,500 all in for the legal fees. Now, in our case, we actually paid a bit less than that. What we paid is about $1,300 for the legal fees, uh, plus $142 to register the mortgage and the deed. So it's a bit over you know, $1,400. Now, when you do go and you start asking for quotes from different lawyers, what they'll normally do is they'll give you a rate that's much lower than that. So for example, in our case, we were quoted $650 for the legal fees themselves. But then there's actually another component to the fee, which is called disbursement. And this usually title insurance is included in part of as part of this, as well as other fees, even things like photocopying they'll include as part of disbursement. So in our case, the fee was $650 plus a disbursement. So when all was said and done, it ended up being a bit over $1,300. And like I said, plus the $142 to register the mortgage and the deed. So I would say the, the $1,500 to $2,500 that seems to be sort of the common thing people expect. Uh, it seems to be fairly accurate. Like I said, I, you know, we paid a bit under fifteen hundred for ours. So you know, if you shop around, but you may still obviously make sure you do actually get a good lawyer. You know, get some uh, talk to people that have used that lawyer in the past. See if they were happy with everything. See if they had any sort of issues, any sort of surprises. Uh, and at the same time, too, what once again, just like with the home inspector what i where i got all my information about what lawyer to use is i once again went on the forums for real estate investment sites and found out who the professional real estate investors were using for their lawyers. I figure, you know, if, if an individual does this for a living, if they're a professional investor, they're spending millions of dollars probably on property. They probably made sure that they have a good lawyer. They've probably done their due diligence. They've probably used this lawyer several times before. So I figure if it's good enough for someone to do a multi-million dollar deal with, then they're probably 
it's probably that lawyer is probably good enough to do a deal with me where I'm buying a house for let's say you know three hundred ten thousand dollars let's say. Okay. Now what's good to do too is I I do like for the lawyer to commit to the price. I don't want there to be too much of a variance in what he tells me and what the actual price will be. So I do ask if the price, the quote that they gave me, if that is sort of a guaranteed price and how much I can expect it to fluctuate, what the variance can be, because some of these are somewhat variable costs. And so I do want to make sure that I don't get any sort of surprises on the bill once all is said and done. And once again, if you've done the research and you've actually found a good lawyer and someone that people have referred you to in the past, someone that you know several professional real estate investors are using, well, you know, chances are you found yourself probably a pretty good lawyer and they're not going to try to you know, screw you over by charging you these unexpected fees that you weren't expecting just to get a few extra bucks from you. So, uh, you know, that's just something to to definitely, I think, keep in mind. I think that's some good advice. Now, what also the lawyer will do for you is they are a good source to tell you what the land transfer tax will be for your property. Now, the land transfer tax is something that you will have to pay, and it is something that's generally a percentage of what you're buying the house for. And it does actually vary from province to province. Okay. So it's not like I can just tell you right now that, oh, it's going to cost you, you know, $3,000 and that's just put that into your budget. It is something that you want to know for sure. And so what, what I, the way I found it out actually, and is basically I, when I was t- called a few lawyers just to get quotes on their services, part of that conversation involved, okay, well, can you confirm what my land transfer tax will be? And I was, so I would tell them, okay, they would ask me a bunch of questions like what the property uh, is like going to cost me approximately and basically they would take that information from me they would put it in and they would tell me what the land transfer tax would be all right so that's something that I think they're a very very good source for of course you can check online you can check on the CMHC website you can do google searches as well I mean there's different ways of finding it out different tutorials online on how to calculate it yourself Uh, you know personally uh, to save you time what I recommend is you simply ask your lawyer they're going to be dealing with that anyway it is their job to know and it is their job to make sure that they're up to date on all the data rules and information of that sort okay but still, just to give you a bit of a, a ballpark as to how much it could cost. So in our case, we are in Ontario and our last house we purchased for $311,000. And so on that, our land transfer tax was $3,140. Okay, so basically $311,000 house and the land transfer tax cost us $3,140. Okay, so that's just to give you a bit of an idea. But like I said, you know, ask your lawyer, you don't have to sign anything with them. Even if you're just calling for quotes, you can ask them what the land transfer tax will be. Now that of course is a pretty big amount, but there are actually rebates available for the land transfer tax. And so once again, I do recommend that you do speak to your lawyer about that to see if you are eligible and what the process would be for something like that. At the very least, they would be able to point you in the right direction. All right, the next thing I have on my list of expenses you would incur or you might incur in this case, is the mortgage application fee. And I already touched on this a little bit earlier, that basically you should not be paying a mortgage application fee. If a bank is trying to force you to pay that, 
and, <laughs> and are including that as part of their cost. Basically tell them, look, there are other many other banks, many other mortgage providers that don't charge this. And so I basically don't want to pay for this. And I would be very, well, first of all, whenever I bought a house, no one ever tried to charge me any sort of mortgage application fee. So just realize that, you know, if you're doing your own research online and you're looking, trying to find out all the different costs, this is one that comes up quite often in all these different online calculators and things like that. What is the mortgage application fee? And, you know, make sure you work that into your budget. Well, I've not, not once had to pay a mortgage application fee. All right. And I'm convinced that you don't either. Just make sure you come in there, make sure you're, inf you're informed. And basically, you know, don't be a pushover. Don't just say, okay, well, if that's the fee, then, then I guess I'll have to, you know, I'll, I'll pay it. Sure. You know, you don't want to come off as someone that, you know, doesn't know anything about any, any of this. And I think by, you know, by listening to this podcast, you will already have quite a leg up uh, on the average person that, you know, has never purchased a house before. All right, the next significant fee that we definitely need to discuss is the mortgage loan insurance, so the CMHC mortgage insurance fees. And these can range from 05 to 2.75% of your mortgage. And to find out the exact amount, what I'll actually do is I'll include a link on the show notes for this episode. So if you go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash four, so just the number four, buildwealthcanada.ca slash four. If you click on, if you go there, basically it will take you to the show notes for this particular episode. And I will have the link on there that will take you to the site that shows you basically information on the mortgage loan insurance and what it is exactly. So with the mortgage loan insurance, if you're putting 20% down, you don't have to pay this at all, okay? If you're putting less than 20 less than the 20% down payment, then you do have to pay the mortgage loan insurance and like I said it varies from 0.5 to 2.75. Now, whenever I bought a house, I mean, I, I just did not want to pay this because the mortgage loan insurance, I mean, we're talking thousands of dollars and you don't really get anything out of it. it you know, it's it's not really insurance for you. It's basically insurance to make sure that, you know, if something goes wrong and you aren't able to pay for your mortgage, that, you know, the lender is, is covered, right? Uh, basically, uh, what you need to know about it is that this isn't something that you're buying that's going to help you or, you know, help pay your mortgage off faster or anything like that. It's basically an extra fee that you do have to pay just because you do not have, you're not putting down enough on the property. You're not putting up a big enough down payment, okay? So whenever we bought a house, I always made sure that I had the 20%. I mean, that was just, I just did not want to pay several thousand dollars and basically get nothing in return. I mean, that was that was sort of the way I look at it, right? Now, I realize that that's not always realistic for everyone, right? To have 20% down. That's quite a bit. I mean, for example, our most recent house is $311,000. So basically, you know, if you, if you take the 20% down, that's over $60,000. A lot of people don't have $60,000 just laying around and it takes them forever to save up that kind of, you know, sort of money. So the 20% for a lot of people isn't even enough option. Um, you know, obviously on my end, I'm, it's, we're, we're kind of extreme savers, I guess you could say in a way. So on, on our most, uh, you know, in our most recent house, you know, we did have that money ready to go. But if you don't think that there's any way you could possibly get that to work, that you can get that 20% down, then the mortgage loan insurance is something that you're basically going to have to deal with. So uh, like I said, check it out, check out the link on the show notes, and it will tell you from uh, basically the CMHC website itself, how much this fee is actually going to be for you in your particular situation. 
All right, so we're just about done here. We really only have two more left, two more expenses. The first one is adjustments. So this is basically prepayments on uh, things like property tax, condo fees, utilities, for example. So really what this is, is when you purchase a house from someone, like for example, in our case, when we purchased our most recent house, they already paid in advance some other property taxes, okay? So when we bought the house, we didn't have to pay kind of the property tax because the previous owners already paid for it. Well, you know, the owners aren't just going to give us that money, right? We have to basically give them back this money, this, this prepayment. And so in our case, for example, because they prepaid some of their property tax, we had to pay an extra $300 basically to, to pay them back for that. So instead of us paying the property tax for that period, you know, directly to the city, we basically had to pay it to the sellers of the property, okay? So it's really the same way sort of with you utilities, right? They might have prepaid for some other utilities. So they paid for water and gas that they haven't even used yet. And so in this case, you're basically saying, okay, well, here's the money for the money that, for, for what you guys already prepaid for us, since you won't be using this because we're going to be living in your house now. Okay. So that's what the adjustments are. Now, generally these aren't going to be gigantic amounts. You're not going to have it. You're generally not going to have adjustments of thousands and thousands of dollars, right? It's just something that they prepaid. But if you do, if you are worried about it, if, if, if you think, uh, you know, if, if things with money are, are tight and you want to make sure you have every dollar sort of accounted for, you could always ask the agent of the people that are selling the house and, and see, well, you know, roughly what would the, what would sort of the adjustments be? All right. And so that should give you a pretty good idea. But generally, you know, if you, if you have a bit of a cushion, I mean, this is something that can be covered by that. All right, and the last thing, and this might not even apply to you, is basically HST. So if you are buying a new home, HST is is part of that. It's something you have to pay. Now, there are rebates available out there so that you get some of that back. Uh, personally, I've actually never bought a brand new home. And just when I looked at you know what you get for a new home, for, for a same amount of money, what you get in a new home versus versus a used home, uh, you know, for me personally, the the used home was just was just a better fit, right? I, I felt like I was getting a lot more for my money, you know. But I I understand how some people do like the new home. They do like it, the options to have it customized for them a little bit. They do get tremendous peace of mind knowing that it is a new home and that there are less likely to be any sort of unforeseen repairs. Although I you know I will warn you that just because a home is new doesn't mean that it won't necessarily have new repairs. I know one of the houses that we bought wasn't a brand new home, but it was a fairly, fairly new home. But there were a few things that, well, there was one thing in particular uh, in the attic with the ventilation that they just didn't do right. So when the builder was building it, they just, they basically dropped the ball a little bit and the ventilation wasn't very good. And it started causing uh, certain issues, uh, certain wetness issues uh, for us in the home. And I mean, that's something that, once again, it's a new home. It shouldn't have happened, right? It was built using the latest building codes and all that fun stuff, but still, you know, it happened and it is an issue that I had to deal with. You know, it wasn't a huge thing. It wasn't like I had to re completely replace the furnace and, you know, or replace the roof, but just keep in mind that if you are buying a new home, it's not like you're guaranteed to never have to maintain anything in it ever, okay? Just like if you're buying a new car, right? Just because it's a brand new car, it doesn't mean that it, it's flawless in every single way and you never have to worry about anything ever going wrong with it, okay? So, Anyways, that's just something to think about and just something to consider, okay? So I'm not I'm not anti-new home. You know, it's just for me and the way I see the money and doing the math, the buying a used home was simply a better option. I felt like we were getting more value and that was the way we took. 
And really, this is something that you should discuss with a lawyer. If you are buying a brand new home, you know you do want to make sure that you are fully aware of what the HST is that you're going to be paying and what their rebates are. Because once again, this is a significant amount. You know, this isn't like like a twenty dollar, <laughs> you know, twenty dollar tax or anything like that, right? These you know we're getting into the bigger amounts here, and this is something that you do want to consider. All right, so that is it as far as the initial housing costs go. Now, I realize that you know, this episode is already getting a little bit long, but I'm really trying to be thorough here with you just because like you saw in the previous examples, just missing one of those points in some cases could be thousands and thousands of dollars. It, it's it's a pretty big deal. And it's, it's something that you do want to be aware of and make sure you have everything lined up, everything planned out and the right of money saved up before you go ahead with that initial purchase. So hopefully you, you know, you appreciated that level of detail and, and some actual examples. And now, you know, if you did like it or didn't like it, or, you know, if, if you have any sort of questions about it or something wasn't clear, definitely let me know. Uh, go to the buildwithcanada.ca website for this particular podcast. Like I said, before the the URL is buildwithcanada.ca slash four. So just the number four. And there in the comments section, you can definitely ask me a question or if you, if, you know, if you want any sort of clarification on anything, anything at all, feel free to let me know. Also, you can sign up for the newsletter there as well. And when you do that, you'll actually get my direct email too. So then you can even send me a direct email if you'd like. And I can definitely help you with that and hopefully make this process a lot easier for you and a lot less stressful now that you know what the cost actually are and where all the money is actually going towards. All right, so with that said, we do have one more element to cover, and that is the ongoing costs that you are going to be incurring once you actually purchase a home. Now, like I said, we're already getting pretty lengthy as far as this podcast goes. So I think what I'll do instead is instead of having those costs together with this podcast, what I'll do is I'll end this podcast right now. And in the next episode, we'll focus completely on the ongoing costs that you should expect to incur once you purchase a home. So stay tuned for that. I think if I kind of put them together, then basically this whole, this one podcast episode would be probably an hour and a half or so. So let's, uh, I think now's a good time just to cut it and um, we will continue in the next episode. So thanks again for listening. I hope you got a lot out of it. I hope it wasn't too much information overload, but like I said, it is pretty a pretty significant thing and it is something that you do want to be very well prepared for. And so in the next episode, we'll cover the ongoing costs. And then once you have those costs, you will have a very, very good understanding on what the financial investment is when you purchase a home. All right, so definitely check out the website for this particular podcast. The show notes are at buildwithcanada.ca slash four, and I will list all the resources that were mentioned in this podcast on that webpage so that you can really quickly and easily access them and find out exactly what the costs will be specific to your particular situation. All right, so definitely check that out. Like I said, sign up to our email list as well, and I will inform you as soon as the next episode comes out as well. And if you are using iTunes, like I said in the previous episodes, I would definitely appreciate a review just to get some feedback. And even if you're not an iTunes user, just you know, comment on the website or just let me know how you like it so far. If there's anything that you'd like me to cover in the future or if there's any particular questions that you have, I'd love to hear from you and get some great feedback. All right, thanks a lot. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca.